Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. It's all about the interest rates and the cost of money. Let me repeat that. It's all about the interest rates and the cost of money and the difficulties some investors and just consumers and people, American citizens, have trouble accepting that. And part of that is behavioral finance. So a, a, a listener sent me an article. It was a, it was a good article right after the big route last uh, Tuesday, I think, or this Tuesday. And it was a really good article and it had a quote in there. And I want you to think about this. And the quote is, But after 15 years of living in an unnaturally low-rate regime, normal sounds, well, abnormal. Let me read that one more time. After 15 years of living in an unnaturally low-interest-rate regime, normal sounds, well, abnormal. Now, what does he mean by that? So for 15 years, interest rates were down virtually at zero. Bonds were extremely risky because... They didn't pay any yield and just a little bit of interest rate rise, and you have bonds going down in price. That's why we had the worst bond market in history last year in 2022. Bonds got clobbered, okay? But now that rates are close, I mean, now rates are actually, these are normal rates with the exclusion of the last 10, 15 years. So if you go back pre-15 years, these are kind of normal that people have been living in around these rates for, for, for decades. In the 70s, they were even a lot higher. I'm sure you know that. But what does that mean and what does that mean? Now, I've got some other articles in the show notes that you can go read and, and, and look at. It's ESG investing, whose interest does it serve? It talks about the conflicts of interest and, and, and the problems with ESG investing. You can go read that. There's an article about EU in trouble. And it's Germany going into recession. Olaf, Olaf Scholz, that is, Scholz, who is their prime minister, chancellor, says, no, no, they're fine. That is not looking quite as good. And then money market or, or money mistakes that each generation makes. That's kind of an interesting article because that talks about really it's what's going on in your generation that your rules are formed. Like the baby boomers, they all want to pay off their house before retirement, and the assumption is they're going to downsize and be cheaper. Gen X, all debt is bad. Anyway, it's an interesting article to go look at and read, but it kind of dovetails with this because in our minds, bonds have been horrible for 15 years. Ergo, the next 15 years are probably going to be bad too. We just assume that. So we want to talk about that, but the main thing is this, this, this cost of money affects prices on everything, money markets, bonds, stocks, your overall allocation, okay? And so I'm going to uh, read the mailbag, a mailbag article, and it's because it's going to dovetail right into this, the topic du jour of the day. And we've kind of talked about this over the past couple months, but it's so important and it's so important for your um, um, investing, you know, success. Okay. So like I told you on Wednesday on 10-4, actually is Wednesday, not Tuesday, something is breaking in the financial markets. That was a CNBC article I was talking about. But then on 10-3, the day before, I got this uh, uh, email. Good morning. I have money I use for my own trading account. And most of it's in cash for the moment. Uh, where, where should I park the money? 
a friend mentioned that there is a money market paying 5.75%. I know you have been investing in short-term treasuries. However, I'm not sure how to buy those. Also looking at TBT, you guys are eyeing TLT for future investment when the Fed finally decides they've gone too far and to start cutting interest rates. The returns on TNT this year have been phenomenal. Wishing I had some money there. Uh, me, CK, good morning. Currently, short-term T-bills six months out are paying 7.78%. This is a couple days ago. And three months out are 4.96. So not quite 5.75. And I'm not aware of any secure, meaning safer money market, uh, paying 5.75. The better ones are about 48 to 5.2 Masermenos. This is because they have some idle cash for redemptions. They got to leave about five to 10% available so they can't be fully invested. So they got some cash only making a percent or two, right? And then they also have to ladder those bonds out each month. They've got to have a, a chunk in each month going out so they can't go straight to the sweet spot of the yield curve. They can't go to five or six months and get the highest coupon. So my, and my answer continues is if this is cash you want within a few weeks or a month, then you probably should go with BIL, SHV, or SGOV, S-G-O-V. Those are ETFs that are treasury money market ETFs, or even the money market fund SWVXX. That's a Schwab treasury money market fund. It's got minimums, but she would qualify. I, I know who she is. Uh, if you want to wait a little longer, uh, if you go out a little, and the reason you want to do that, folks, is if you're planning on just pulling it out and then trading in a couple weeks when the dust settles and you're pretty active, then you want to use the gov the money market. You could just trim it off and sell it real quick, whatever, however much you need. The treasury bonds themselves, the individual treasury bonds, sell in $1,000 increments. So anyway, I said, if you want the money for a little longer term, three to six months, uh, we actually manage a fixed income account uh, uh, lower than, you know, our stock accounts, but, but, um, and they consist of only investment grade fixed income. But currently, um, uh, primarily all T-bills because of the yield curve, but currently we're all in T-bills. You can get some trip AA corporate paying 5.8 to 5.9, but the extra 0.3 basis points is it worth the extra spread, in my opinion? When yields begin to normalize, I would spread out to an, a few investment-grade corporate bonds. Now, let me know if you have any other questions. So that was the mailbag, and it perfectly dovetails with our topic. After the main topic and Don's market update, I'm going to do the last mailbag, which talks about a, a client asked, had a question about inflation. So, so don't go away. Now, so getting back to this money market or the what to do with safe money. So if you look, Don's got a, a, a chart up and he's showing this SWVXX. The one year's 3.78 uh, since inception's around two, two and a half. Now it normally has kind of an amalgamation of a few different things, but right now they're all tre uh, treasuries. That's the problem with all the money markets right now, folks. They're not doing commercial paper. or So commercial paper means 270 days or less. It's short-term paper that these big corporations borrow to do their short-term financing. It's kind of like a line of credit, okay? So they, bar they borrow money. And so most of these money markets will have it mixed because corporate, corporate will normally pay a little bit higher if you have a normal yield curve Treasuries pay the least, and then it goes up to investment grade, and then high yield or junk bond, junk grade, and different. And so they have a mix, so they get higher yields. But with treasuries paying the highest, there's no reason to go anywhere else. Why would you? You're taking more risk and getting less yield. If you're going to take more risk, you want to get more yield, right? This is a way to get less, take less risk, and get more yield. But what problems does that cause? Corporations now have to pay higher if they want to be able to raise short-term money. Otherwise, you'll just go to treasuries, okay? Municipal bonds that issue based on the municipality, the tax-free muni bonds, they're having to compete with treasuries. They're having trouble raising money. So it's actually crowding out and squeezing out 
the private sector. That's the problem with inverted yield curves. Now, the question is, could we, what are we setting up for? Now, let's talk about the crowding out first. Let's talk about why that is. Okay, so Don showed you this money market, and I'm showing you the one-year, the two-year, but the seven-day yield is actually 5.3. It's not what you did last year. It's what you did for me lately. Right now, because yields have gone up, this money market has been trending higher. So if you're a new investor in this money market, and there are others, you can get around 5, 5.2, 5.3. It will fluctuate. It's not fixed. But if you're only doing 1500 1800 or $23,412, it's perfect. If you're going to use T-bills, individual T-bills, they're $1,000 increments. you got to buy them in $1,000. But it locks in that rate at whatever it is. If you get 5.7 for six months, it's 5.7 if you hold it for six months. It doesn't vary. So it depends on how you're trying to invest. If you're just trying to park the money for very short term, for a couple weeks, use a treasury government money market or ETF. If, if, if you're trying to actually get the highest yield and leave it in a fixed income safe account that's not going to be put toward equities later, then use individual T-bills. And then whatever the residual balance left that you can't round up to 1000 then you can do the government money market. That's how to do it. But let's talk about the bigger picture. I was talking about the behavioral finance article about the baby boomers, whatnot. Well, everybody now is looking at behavioral finance. They're going, if I got a dividend stock paying 4%, but I can get a T-bill paying five and a half with risk-free, and I'm, the, the biggest part about that dividend stock is a dividend. It's the cash flow. It's not so much the growth. You're going to crowd out dividend stocks. It's, treasuries are going to be more, more, um, um, it look more attractive on a relative basis. But Michael, what is the fundamental reason? Give us a couple other fundamental reasons that these corp that 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 these corporations and even municipalities, but corporations for now have to compete with the treasuries. Um yeah, so I mean that that is that is one factor, the competition. There there's more attractive alternatives and uh safer alternatives you can invest your money a lot safer risk-free in in treasuries versus taking a risk on on a dividend stock but another factor and just a, a pro probably more important even than the the crowding out of the trade is more it, it's really just math at the end of the day and the way that these these dividend stocks and these companies invest their money in the projects they they take on is all based on net present value calculations so they calculate a, a, a internal rate of return and see what the the net present value of that project is today and they take it on well when you have higher interest rates all of a sudden the cost of funding that project goes up and a lot of these projects that were net present value positive are no longer positive so they have less things they can do with their money and for example, one of the stocks that's taken a big hit recently is NEE, Next Era Energy, also NEP, which is related to NEE. But if you see the, the decline in that stock, the reason why it's selling off so hard is because, and, and that's a utility, and a lot of utilities are selling off because the way that utilities are, are valued, their growth is extremely stable. They've got these long-term investment horizons, and they've got certain projects. So they're able to to pay out a certain, the way a company pays a dividend is something called the dividend payout ratio. And there's a, a certain ratio of the amount of free cash flow they have that's sustainable for them to continue investing in the business as well as paying out that dividend. But all of a sudden for Next Era Energy, if the cost of financing those projects has gone up so much, they can't grow at the same rate. And they've said that, that their free cash flow is actually gonna come down and they may not be able to take on these projects that they had uh, anticipated. So if, if their asset base isn't growing because they can't invest in these projects, their, their lower growth, well, the value of that stock is gonna come way down because it's, that, that's all gotta be taken out of the, the future value of that company. So that, that's a big issue. But, but as I said, it really, it really comes down to math and 
if interest expense for a company is high, it'll decrease the free cash flow because part of how you then get from operating cash flows to free cash flows is something you subtract is interest expense. So that means you have less cash available for other activities. And if interest expense is low or if a company has no debt, it'll have a positive impact on free cash flow as more cash becomes available for other uses. And then it works the same in reverse. So basically interest expense um, directly reduces the cash available for operations and investments, as well as how much that company can pay out in dividends. So okay. if, yeah, no, if that's can't, yeah. Yeah, that's perfect, Mike. So so I'm gonna Mike used a lot of big financial words there. I'm gonna put my Mike Turpert on. Basically what he's saying, folks, is if you've got a project you're doing and the, and the interest expense is 4% or 5%, then your profit is, is 8 or 9%. It's a doable deal. It's good. If, you're, if your interest rate all of a sudden went from 4% to 8 or 10%, now that's not a profitable deal. That thing's actually a money loser. So it's good. And not only that, a lot of these companies have debt on their balance sheet already that's coming due. And so they've got to roll that debt over when they roll that debt over that all that debt. Now their interest expense, a cost every year, they got to pay off just like when you, your interest expense on your credit card now has just doubled. A lot of these quarterly, a lot of these earnings are going to be shown up in the next quarter's earnings, which are coming up. They're going to be reflected in that you're going to see. And, and the companies with the most debt, the most debt they have to roll over are the ones that are going to be in most trouble. And that kind of leads me to a little side point because on our morning call, we have a morning call every morning about an hour before the market opens. And we were going back and forth. And Ted, you threw out a gold nugget. Ted, what? tell, tell the listeners what you said on our morning call. Yeah, so I was reading and doing some research and found that more than 40% of stocks in the Russell 2000 are unprofitable. And it's probably even more now. Um, and so most of them have expiring debt, like we just talked about, that will be refinanced at much, much higher rates that they currently have. And this is definitely going to increase their debt burden of these companies, put more pressure on their ability to sustain their business activities. And for the unprofitable companies, this could even cause bankruptcies, which we could potentially see coming in the future. And okay. for the companies making money, there'll probably be great pressure on their bottom lines. All right. Perfect, Ted. Thanks. So... So why, So again, the theme of the show, interest rates and the cost of money. Small caps are considered more speculative, obviously. They're not big league. They're not S&P companies. Their cost of borrowing is higher. They also usually have to, at the very beginning, they usually have to raise equity when they're just an idea in somebody's head. Once they start getting going, then they'll start issuing but they don't, they'll issue equity if they can. A lot of these angel investors say, wait a minute, I, I'm going to, I'm going to issue you money. I, I want a sweetener. So they'll sweeten the deal and they'll, they'll issue convertible debt or they'll issue debt, but it may have to get reset occasionally. When that reset comes, you're going to have some big problems. So moral of the story, be careful with uh, small caps. They actually bounced today or earlier when I looked, but Will that be sustainable? So for right now at Revere, yeah, small caps, they're, we're looking, but they would, we would always have a sell discipline. If we're taking it right now, it's just a trade because right now it, they're struggling. So with that, I wanted to um, talk about um, the, 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 the problems are going to have. So remember Helicopter Ben and Greenspan Bubbles? Bubbles, Greenspan, and Helicopter Ben Bernanke. Remember when Helicopter Ben, where's that quote he said? I remember seeing this. It was like 2008. And Helicopter Ben said, we are going, he came out and said, we're going to force risk-averse investors into risky assets. And they cooed all over him. CNBC loved him. And I, my jaw hit the floor and said, what? You just basically said you're going to force blue-haired grandma, widow grandma, in from CD, force her out of her CDs and out of her money markets and out of her bonds. And you're going to force her into stocks and real estate to pump up 
the the to reinflate. They called it the reinflation trade. Later, I'll get to that. Reinflate the the market to help because everybody was just flying into treasuries and scared to death. Okay. So he based, and if I said that, if I said, I don't care about their risk tolerance, I don't care if she's a widow and, and very risk averse, we're going to put her in go-go tech stocks, they'd have my license, but not for helicopter bed, right? So anyway, so when he said that, a bunch of guys like me that wrote articles saying, this is crazy. They never said that again. They, re, they, they marketed it. They put lipstick on the pig. And they called it the reflation trade or operation twist, or they used all these other things. And they never said they're forcing uh, uh, risk averse investors into risky assets. If you have a low risk tolerance, it doesn't matter. That's basically what he said. But here's my point. The Fed then was trying to get everybody to get into the markets. Now they're trying to kind of, it's really more about inflation, not the stocks. They're trying to kind of put a damper, kind of damp, tamp down a little bit. They don't want it to crash. They just want to tamp it down for the time being. Now, they are starting to cause dislocations and you're starting to have problems. The big question is, are they going to create this soft landing they're talking about or are the wheels coming off and the plane's going to crash land? And there's things all over that. You'll need different portfolios for those different things. So in the 70s, you had bonds and stock route of the late 70s, and the only thing good was gold and commodities, right? Then in the 80s, when finally they killed inflation and rates dropped, gold was dead since from 1981 all the way to 2004. You didn't want to own gold. You wanted stocks and bonds because rates were dropping. That's the other lie. Stocks and bonds are actually fairly highly correlated when rates are dropping and the economy is expanding. That's good for both stocks and bonds. When rates are rising, that's bad for stocks and bonds. So the question is, we've got to figure out where we are on the interest rate cycle to know what kind of longer term you're going to you know, lean toward. Over the, the, the pie chart people call it overweight. And then that helps us, but then we, we're actually a little bit more uh, fine-tuned than that. But the point is that's very important. So if you think of interest rates as a circle, 12 o'clock, they're peaked, everybody's out of work, you've got a recession, and uh, the Fed says, let's put America back to work. They start dropping rates. Industrials start to pop. Bonds have their huge big capital gains. Everything starts to work. Everything starts to doing well. We have a nice economic expansion, and then rates start to bottom out at six o'clock. And everybody's worried they start to talk about inflation or overheating. And so when rates start to rise, either naturally or on their own, bonds will do poorly and stocks will do poorly. Okay? We're somewhere at 11, 11.30, maybe 10.30, maybe 12 already on that clock. When that clock strikes 12 and it starts to roll over, that's where the big money is going to be made. The question is, are we there yet or are we not there yet? That's the question. So with that, I'm going to go to Don and I want to see what he has to say. And here's why it's so important. If they engineer a soft landing, theoretically, if, if, if economic theory holds, which sometimes it doesn't, Stocks and bonds will be good, but not gold. If they fail and they cause a recession, uh, bonds will be good, but not stocks and gold. However, if they fail and they cause more inflation, you'll want gold and commodities and inflation-type stocks like energy stocks, but you won't want bonds. So that's why it's very important. to, And that's the bigger picture. Within that, you can have... These cycles. But in any event, with that, I want to go over to Don because if the Fed, once this squeeze is over, they could be setting up a period like the 80s where we had a long bull market. So, Don, what say you? Uh, me say it's as important to participate in that uh, big uptrend as it is to avoid the big downtrend. You can see here, this is a um, this is a chart of TLT. This is an ETF that 
reflects the price of the long bond. So when the price goes down on this, obviously that means that yields are going higher. 2022, when we had a bear market, uh, the conventional wisdom and the argument for diversified portfolios was that if you were in bonds, that would somewhat cushion the blow. But uh, if, you, if you're a listener to this show, you know how we totally avoided bonds during 2022 because they actually were performing worse than stocks, the TLT being down over 30% on the year. And it's certainly a similar situation uh, right now uh, going back to uh, the middle part or the earlier the Q1 of this year. Uh, and TLT is in a protracted, protracted downtrend again, and this corresponds once again with the market pulling back, especially over the last couple of months. But uh, if you're looking for a way to cushion the blow and thinking that bonds are going to do it, that's certainly not it. But there, cert there will be a time uh, to get back into these. This was a very strong run here back in 2018, 2019 into 2020 for bonds. Uh, when it's time for them, it's time for them. And when it's not, uh, you can see this peaked here, the TLT at 180, and we're down to 85. Just a 50% uh, haircut on bonds. So absolutely no safe place. When could could you, could you, could you repeat I, that? Could you, re those are treasury bonds he's talking about, folks. Treasury bonds. Yeah, the long bond, the 30 year. Yep, 50% loss. So, you know, I'm, I sarcastically say it's like going to the grocery store and buying rotten vegetables to keep a balanced uh, diet, but who wants rotten vegetables? This is why we focus on U.S. stocks. We diversify into foreign or emerging markets or into bonds or into gold when they're outperforming the S&P 500. Right now, everything is pretty much in a downtrend. Japan had had a, some success earlier this year, but... Uh, for the most part, the trend across all these asset classes since we topped at least at the beginning of July or late July uh, has been down. And we have, anybody that listens to us knows, we have our line in the sand with the S&P 500, aka stocks, and that's this 200-day moving average, the black line here, which... Uh, corresponds to a breakout that we had in late May, early June, corresponds to a top that we made back in January, February when we were coming off the lows. It's a big area, this 4,200 area, and if we break it, uh, we'll be out of the market because all risk picks up once you break below the 200-day moving average. That's where all bear markets occur. Um, typically, from top to bottom, it's... Uh, an average of about 11 to 12% off of the top. Uh, less in this case it will be because of the slope of the line going up. But uh, it's a lot easier to recover from a 10% loss than it is from a 27, 30, 35, 40% loss. And we're not saying that that's where they're going. We're saying when we're under the 200-day moving average, that's where all bear markets occur. And um, we're fine with giving stocks the benefit of the doubt at the index level. If we're above 4,200, we haven't been strongly into leadership stocks over the last month because they there was a failed uh, rally attempt. You can see I have it marked here uh, when we started in an attempt to rally. And then Jerome Powell coming out two Wednesdays ago with the FOMC, the market reacting in a major negative way to that and hasn't recovered since then. And, um, you know, we just follow these technical signals to stay away. We want to see the chart going as if you're driving from Phoenix to Maine, not as if you're uh, in Seattle and going to Miami. You know, it's, it, and obviously there's a lot of gray areas in between there, but for the most part, uh, the trend has been down, especially over the last couple of weeks. And we've cut our exposure way back when we broke down after the FOMC. Yep. Yep. Now, I want to clarify because Don said, you know, last year when we had a bear market, Revere did not have a bear market. Bonds had a bear market. The S&P narrowly, narrowly escaped a bear market. It was down right at the very end of December, down like a little over 20 percent. And you had a little bounce the last few days of the year so that it was down about 18 and a half. But but so the S&P almost was a bear market and the bonds were a Definitely a bear market. So anyway. Um, well, the S&P the was down 27.5% at its peak on the bottom. Yes, yes. Right here. Yes. 
Uh, and then, like you said, it bounced during the fourth quarter. But uh, right. right. Again, so it, it all occurs under under the black line, under the 200 day moving average. This is the danger zone, the stay away zone. Yes. And, and so and the point is, folks, one reason this is important is because and if you're we, we don't do the pie chart asset allocation, the longer term, you know, hold stuff. But if you're going to do that, you kind of need to know which cycle, which cycle you're in, inflationary, deflationary, depression, expanding growth, whatever, because those pie charts, those allocations should look different. So if you got any questions on that, call me. All right, Don, we'll go ahead and do the market uh, update uh, about the overall markets. And uh, you can also uh, bring in the guys and then I will wrap it up with that inflation commentary. Sounds good. Really not a whole lot to add uh, to the point that I made a couple of minutes ago about uh, inflection points. And we went from a follow through day on 829 and a couple of days of good action to Jerome Powell two weeks ago, throwing cold water on any thought that we would have an attempted rally gap down after after FOMC. And we haven't been able to recapture uh, the ultra short-term eight-day exponential moving average since then. And um, it, it's clear to us where the trend is. The trend is not up. Uh, no place to be in growth stocks during a period like this, but we do uh, hold on to our index position. Uh, we hedged it a couple times on the way down, took the hedge off when we got very oversold uh, yesterday. And... Um, we're not far away from breaking this 4,200 level, the 200-day moving average. Right below there is a big uh, horizontal line of support that goes down to about 4,186. So depending on how oversold we are, uh, we give it a little bit more room. We don't just cut everything because of one penny here or a nickel there. It's uh, it's a gradual, well, I don't want to say gradual, but it's a uh, meaningfully planned based on the action of the market exit. Uh, once we break below that black line. And it, again, this is where all all the bad news occurs under here before uh, our rules uh, have, have weight. We don't then wait until we're automatically back above the 200-day moving average. There will be opportunities underneath there, and they all start off again with the follow-through day. But that follow-through day uh, also means that there needs to be um, reasonably priced, uh, nice, nicely basing good growth rate stocks to buy uh, when that happens. So, you know, rallies will occur from under the 200-day moving average. And when if that's happening, we want to participate in them. But there's very strict criteria for when we want to do that. And you limit the exposure. You don't go 100% all right. in either. So, Right. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the uh, high level view of the market. Let's uh, go over to Ted and he's got a couple of interesting charts for us to see here. Ted, you want to take it away? Yeah. So building off what you said, breath pretty much supports exactly the action. The, NAS the NASDAQ net highs and lows um, in the last few days, we saw some recordings that were on par with the March banking crisis. So it, it really shows that um, where we are right now in the markets. But it is a good sign that we're looking to find some support here on the indexes and the net lows are drying up. The NASI, the RSI is in deeply, deeply oversold territory. We are like the net highs and lows back at that March banking crisis levels and the October lows. So the, the key here is to see if we can find some support on the indexes and get a relief bounce. Um, continue on, sentiment is deeply bearish as well. And as a contrary indicator, that is definitely what we like to see. Um, like I drew this line across, the CNN fear and greed are at the levels of the March banking crisis as well and October lows. So at this point, we just want to see if we can stabilize um, and see if we can make a move higher. And finally, the AAII also supports this with bearish votes 10% above the historical averages. So the bottom line is, we have super weak breath, action, and sentiment, and we want to monitor the indexes, the sectors, and the stocks to see if we can form some sound bases, see breakouts, and see if they follow through. And that, that is precisely what we want to see. So, we're, so that brings us to the correction. And the next part of my segment, I just want to quickly talk about what we want to look for in terms of relative strength. 
and then I'm just going to talk about some of the screeners I run precisely in these peers of, of the markets. Um, so the first thing I want to see is see if any stocks are making 52-week highs as the markets are making lower lows. The second thing I want to see is if RS lines are making new highs and if RS lines are making new highs before price as well. Number three is stocks overall showing more strength than other indexes um, and other stocks in their sectors. Fourth is stocks up on volume um, during down days. And then the fifth one is um, I've been trying out this new DeepView platform and there's, there's, a, there's a screener setting where I can adjust the number of days looking back and set it to see if the stock is outperforming the S&P 500 on a particular fraction of those days. So some of the correction utility screeners builds off exactly on the five points I talked about. I'll have a screen with various volume and price settings and then just have that searching for 52 week highs, relative strength, new highs before price, relative strength line, new highs. Um, and then for this, for another intraday screener, I'll use a stocks up on volume just to see where the money is flowing, what sectors, industry groups is the institutional money flowing into. And then finally, like I talked about, I recently created this screener looking back 20 days because that is kind of where we broke down below the 50-day moving average on the S&P 500. And I'm looking at 12 out of the 20 days where a stock has outperformed the S&P. So that's about that's 60% of the days of the last 20. Um, so with those screeners, it really tells us where the money's flowing, what's holding up. And so we can keep, keep a list of the strongest stocks in case we put in the follow through day and the market stabilize and, and start moving back up. Thank, thanks, Ted. To, to kind of follow dovetail on what Ted is saying, he is actually screening from the moment the market broke down till now, and he's looking for screening for the very, very strongest stocks that actually held up or even went up during a route because when the market starts rallying, if those held up during the sell-off, normally they will really run during when the market starts to rally. They'll be the leaders. So anyway, all right, Don. Yep, thanks, Ted. Connor, take it away. Yeah, so a couple weeks back, I touched on the one, two, three, and four ATR extensions from the 21-day exponential moving average. And this can be a great tool to help tell you, you know, something's getting exhausted to the upside or the downside. And I thought it'd be a good time to show three specific charts because um, some indexes and some bonds are hitting some pretty severe oversold levels. And it's, I think it'd be interesting to circle back you know, next week or the following to see how these things reacted to these certain levels. So the first chart is of IWM. This is the Russell 2000 and it's had a very rough go this year. Um, it from 200 all the way down to in the 170s now, but yesterday it put in a hammer off the three ATR, nearly touched the four ATR extension, which it hasn't done since the COVID crash. So quite some time, and that really show, shows you how severe this pullback decline has been. Um, so yeah, so put in a hammer yesterday off the three ATR and almost wicked off the four. So it's gonna be one to watch moving forward. This would be a logical area for the Russell to bounce, but as you can see, the trend's clearly down. So these, these um, Keltner channels are often more for oversold, overbought, because clearly the trend's down. So you can play that two ways, right? If you wanna try to catch an oversold bounce, or if you wanna cover a short and try to reshort on a bounce. Um, next one, Don, you can go to the next one. Next one is TLT. And yeah, rates have been skyrocketing, bonds have been smoked. And this is, this is a good one to look at because this one's actually rode the four ATR down for almost six days now. So sometimes it, once it gets to that four ATR, it'll bounce immediately, but in extreme weakness, it will ride it lower. And as you can see, it spent six days in between the three and the four ATR band. And that just really shows you how, how, how much bonds are getting wrecked right now. Um, and so, yeah, so it undercut it the other day. So it actually traded out of the four ATR and now it's back in putting an inside day today. So this is going to be interesting to watch moving forward. Um, it's the first time it got out of the four ATR. So that could 
you know, maybe it's getting exhausted. And when you can see that volume down there, it's really picking up. So this is something to watch. This could provide, you know, this could help equities if this can find a bounce. And a pretty crazy stat is this is the first time in almost seven years that bonds have traded outside that four ATR. So some crazy times we're in right now. And then the last one is S&P 500. This one, similar situation. This has kind of been riding that three ATR extension to the downside for a couple days now. And, you know, see if it can bounce here. Um, we topped when we pierced that three ATR in July, and we also bought them in October off the three ATR. So sitting at an area like that right now, and will be interesting to circle back in, you know, a week, two weeks to see how they reacted off these levels because they can just trickle down lower around them, but sometimes these can be a good gauge to find a level for a snapback rally. So yeah, that's that's kind of a summary on three charts using these Keltner channels. And in these charts, it's the one, two, three, and four ATR and using the 21-day exponential moving average. And one of, the, one of the key things that you want to look for to see if whether or not a bounce might stick, and it takes some time for it, but you want to see the slope of the Keltner channel start to turn. Right now, we've got a very uh, negative slope to the lines across all of the uh, average true range levels. But compare that to back in uh, December and early January, we were riding uh, a lower minus two ATR down, we started to bounce and we started to not retest those lows. And then two weeks later, the slope of the line started to flatten out and turn higher. And you can see how that coincided with a, uh, a nice rally all the way up to where instead of worrying about the minus two ATR, we started looking at the plus two ATR to, get, to look at how overbought we were. Uh, and then uh, same situation in reverse, we bounced off there, we started to go lower, the slopes of the line started to roll over and that coincided with the March lows. And then it's just the same thing again, you start to bounce, you look for the slopes of the Keltner channels to start to uh, stop going lower, put in a bottom and turn higher and that gives you confidence uh, to put money to work in the market. So, you know, we're always looking to see when we have the wind at our back and when we have the wind at our face. And this is uh, another uh, tool that we use in our toolbox to uh, keep us on the right side of the market. Dan, that's going to wrap it up from the tech side. You still have something to discuss with uh, Mike? Uh, oh, no, 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 no. We, uh, Mike and I had that conversation, but... And, and we'll have more conversations about the fundamentals and the cost of money. But I want to make a couple of points that, Don, that, that, that Connor did. And Don was just talking about the rate of change, the ROC, the slope of the line. So the, the, first, the, the first derivative is a slope. What's the slope? The more vertical down it is, the more that's bad. The more vertical up, that's good if you're long. It's when they're flattening, that means the rate of that direction is slowing and it's about to reverse the other way. So when you see a, a line turning more horizontal, that means you may be hitting an inflection point and the trend has changed. Now it could flatten out and then continue the same direction, but it's just signaling you that now there's a potential change of direction. One other thing, these oscillating indicators like Keltner channels or they're different ones, Bollinger bands, but those are good when you're kind of range bound. When you're in a huge trend, like in a bear market, when everything's just crashing, they're just lines on a chart. You need to get out of the way. That's why Don was saying, you know, once they break the 200 day moving average, and if the slope of the line is still decidedly negative, we're going to get very defensive. If we break the 200 day, but the line, the slope is starting to flatten out and curve up, he may, he may take a, a piece off, but get a little bit more room to breathe. He may give it a little bit more. He was showing you that other level that was just a percent or two below the 200 day. So that's why I'm saying that that change is very, very important. All right, folks. Now I am going to talk. This is a little bit more uh, philosophical and economic, but it was a great question. And it's a good question to have because it has long-term 
uh, ramifications for both our country and your investing career. So I told you after the main um, topic and article, I was going to talk about inflation, and it's really about inflation and why a stable currency. So on 930, we had a KP emailed me and he said, Dan, listening to the last week, listening to the podcast, you stated the Fed is the cause of inflation. I don't disagree, but I always believed, especially this round, that it was also caused by massing massive spending on the part of our politicians. No, me. I'm going to give you a very complete answer, and it's a great question. I'm copying down on the team, so they're in the loop. Thanks for asking. Theoretically, or technically, the classical definition of inflation is strictly monetary due to the excessive money printing. If you have a trillion dollars covering a trillion dollars of assets and services, you print another trillion dollars and simply stick it in the system. Now you have two trillion dollars chasing the same one trillion worth of goods and services, thus causing inflation. You haven't produced anything new, right? So theoretically, inflation would double or be 100%. But the rate of inflation also depends on the dollar turnover or velocity of money, known as the multiplier effect. Extra activity, whether Congress spending, government public, or the private sector, whatever the cause, caused the dollar turnover multiplier effect, uh, causes the dollar uh, turnover multiplier effect that accelerates the inflation rate as economic activity accelerates, okay? Extra spending can cause the rate or second derivative that I was just talking about with inflation, though, second derivative uh, to change. But, and this is the key, but if you have a finite currency to begin with, no, not fiat, then the money itself is self-adjusting during higher periods of demand and you have higher rates, thus curbing uh prices, thus curbing demand. As the cost of money increases, it curbs demand. There's no multiplier effect creating more dollars by the banks and the fractional banking system. Thus, the economy self-regulates rather than the Fed trying to regulate through, through uh, the banking system, creating more money, which they later have to extract quickly and painfully because they caused a bubble. Um, we have all seen how well that worked many times. Uh, they didn't call Alan Greenspan, Bubbles Greenspan, and Ben Bernanke helicopter Ben for nothing. Actually, Ben gave him his own uh, 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 nickname. That was actually in his doctorate he wrote about if, if he was the Fed chairman during the Great Depression, it wouldn't happen. He wrote this paper, nine or ten things that he would avoid. And number nine, finally, if all else fails, if nothing else works, we would drop money out of helicopters and just give it directly to the people. That's what they did during COVID when they opened up the economy. Anyway, uh, when they print money during COVID and simply send it to people, you, you have inflation while the economy was mandatory. You didn't have inflation while the economy was mandatorily shut down because there was no economic activity. But when they opened up and didn't remove the excess, the velocity increased rapidly. And so you had high inflation. You would have had inflation without government spending. That just exacerbated it. So. I was going to say, uh, again, without excessive printing that the banks can multiply, uh, you cannot have inflation. The interest rate will curb uh, demand in real time and thus averting the crisis. In fact, it avoids the crisis in the first place. That's the whole point. Do you want the economy self-regulating or do you think the Fed w should try to manipulate it, which causes the boom and bust cycles? Anyway, so... Um, so the primary problem, though, the, politici the politicians and Fed, which is not a government agency, but owned by the big banks, the Fed is owned by the big banks, okay? But they, if they just stop uh, stimulating, so the choices between boom and buff cycles, scaring investors, or a more stable, smoother increases in economic output with very little or no inflation. This is a difference between Keynesian economics and Austrian economics, and it's a difference between manipulating the system and a self-regulating. On a very related topic for another day, why does the Fed target an inflation rate of 2%? Why not zero? After a decade, people are 10% poorer, ignoring compounding. 
if you understand this, if you understand why they target a 2% above, 2% versus zero, then you will understand the real goal of the Fed. Lastly, and then I'll be quiet, and I know Don wants me to, uh, if you really want to understand the motives of the Fed, you got to read the, Jekyll, the creature from Jekyll Island. It's a real island off the coast of South Carolina that was originally owned by James Pierpont Morgan, a.k.a. J.P. Morgan, and now it's owned by the Fed, a.k.a. the member banks. Cheers and have a great weekend. He answered me back, said, had to reread the concepts you addressed a few times, but really appreciate it. Thanks, and I will read the book. Folks, it's a pretty heady, deep read, but it explains the Fed, the IMNF, and the World Bank. It is a good read. Listen, this was a lot today. We dived a little bit deep and got a little heady with inflation, the cost of money, and interest rates, but it is so important. If the Fed engineers what they want, it's smooth sailing ahead. If they don't, Katie, bar the door. Question for you, do you have a plan for both? We do at Revere. If you want to find out what that is, just give us a call. Or you can go to our website, and up in the top right-hand corner, there's a Contact Us button, or there's a Subscribe button. Hit the Subscribe button. You'll get this our podcast every week, and you'll get our daily market insight video every night the market's open that Don does. And by the way, we're doing this show early to Thursday. I had to be out Friday, so we're doing this. This is an early edition, so there's not going to be one Friday. And you can always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Folks, have a safe weekend, and we'll talk to you next week on your money. Because it's not about how much money you made in the markets. It's about how much of that you can keep. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.